Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gen Pop. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson, and welcome to the show. Gen Pop mm. is a podcast that talks about the biggest things in pop culture that are happening. Uh, but of course, we're not really doing that today because this is our last episode for are you now. Kidding, Dave? We are doing that because we're talking about the biggest thing in pop culture this week, which is clearly not the Star Wars cover on VanityFair.com, not the Game of Thrones cover on EntertainMentWeekly.com, but the end of Gen Pop. That's right, a, a monumental. An uh, earth-shaking <laughs> cultural event. Cultural event, like a, a series finale to end all series finales. <laughs> uh, but before we get to today's topics, uh, I guess I just want to uh, talk about a, a couple things about the feed, specifically uh, for, for Gen Pop, like the, the podcast itself. Um, I had mentioned that we're, we're going to be doing Better Call Saul recap. So like after today... Gen Pop is not yet dead. We are still going to do, uh, for the Patreon page, one more Better Call Saul recap. And then for uh, the public, on the Gen Pop feed, there's going to be a uh, season discussion of Better Call Saul, season three of Better Call Saul. So if you're a fan of Better Call Saul, want to hear us talk about it, stay subscribed to Gen Pop. Don't just unsubscribe um, because you will miss it. But uh, yeah, in a few weeks, we will do that recap um, for season three of Better Call Saul. Uh, this season has been pretty interesting so far, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. So, so just want to say, even though this is like kind of our last episode, we're not. There's still a few more things to expect if you're a Patreon subscriber or if you are uh, a subscriber on the podcast. Finally, uh, I also wanted to say this is not going to be a regular episode. Like we usually have a topic each week, but these last couple weeks we're just going to talk about stuff that you guys emailed in. A lot of people emailed into gempopshow at gmail.com with some really great questions. And so we're going to just talk about some of these questions that are very thought-provoking and are more general, and hopefully we'll tell you a little bit more uh, about us. So, uh, yeah. And uh, before we get to any of that, I do want to mention that Joanna and I are doing a Twin Peaks podcast. If you uh, can't wait to hear more Joanna and David, go to peakstv.com, uh, and you can subscribe to our new Twin Peaks podcast. We're going to be doing that every other week. And, of course, Cast of Kings will be coming back as well. Uh, that's in a couple months. So... Just want to let people know where they can find more of our stuff before uh, the next things comes along. So let's talk about emails. Genpopshow@gmail.com. Last week we got a bunch of emails in response to our discussion of where to, to draw the line as regards uh, actor portrayals of groups that th- that actor does not belong to. So can a, an able-bodied person play a disabled person? Can a white person play an Asian person? Can a straight person play a gay person? And we kind of went back and forth on this uh, and sort of brought up different points around it. Uh, I would say, Joanna, that that was a pretty polarizing episode. Um, Several people tweeted at us or emailed us and said that it was one of their favorite episodes of podcasts of all time. And some people said that it was horrible and they couldn't finish listening to it. Um, So I think you might have... Save me from I, some I, of those more negative emails. I did not email you those uh, those in the latter category. Oh, uh, but I did get some. Like I got some tweets came through of people who are sort of like. Uh, I mean, I get it that it's like if you if you are tired of PC culture, that was maybe the ultimate like snowflake <laughs> PC culture episode of Gen Pop. It's a very snowflakey history, but um, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I just I don't. I fundamentally don't even agree with that. I, I guess I feel like we were. In my opinion, we were fairly even-handed. I, I don't. Feel you like did I, a, I think you did a really good job. 
of I'm, I'm serious. I think yeah. you did a really good job of sort of like pushing back on some things, which is a better way to have a conversation anyway. But um, yeah, I, I'm just saying, well, I'll just say this, not maybe that I get it, but I'm not, I was not at all surprised right. that some people were sure. like, I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, I think there is, I think there is a lot of uh, preciousness and I don't say that in a disparaging way. I think there's a lot of, a lot of protectiveness over the idea that artists should be able to make bold choices. They should be able to like that being gay in a movie, like, or, or being bald or being, you know, disabled should be a choice that an actor is able to make. And that anything that seems to abridge that choice is, um, is not optimal, you know? And I, I understand where that comes from and hopefully, hopefully, but probably not. Hopefully like I was able, we were able to like bring out some of that tension. We were able to explain where some of the tension might come from. Uh, but we did get this email that I felt was worth sharing. This one comes from Georgia from Sydney, Australia, who wrote into gempopshow.gmail.com. Um, wanted to say how much I enjoy the show and how sad I am that it's ending, although I completely understand. I wanted to write in as I was listening to your last episode and wanted to address something you said about disability representation. I believe Joanna mentioned that for the viewing audience, it is not relevant whether, an act, whether or not the actor is in a wheelchair in real life. Therefore, it might not make as much difference to representation uh, as in other areas such as race. I wanted to dispute that as I have a disability. And while I am not in a day chair, I have many friends that are. And it is very obvious to me uh, when the actor is not disabled. TV shows and movies tend to make even the most basic mistakes when it comes to characters in wheelchairs, such as using a hospital wheelchair instead of a more realistic day chair. I've almost never seen a chair with armrests, which almost all TV show wheelchairs seem to have. They rarely show disabled people doing basic tasks such as transferring or driving and often portray them as completely dependent on others. There's also very little regard for how people with different disabilities are capable of doing different things in their wheelchair and the different wheelchairs they might use. I'm sure there are many other egregious examples that uh, people that use a wheelchair full-time would notice. If more disabled actors were hired, these issues that maybe able-bodied actors and directors don't pick up on or don't care about would be addressed. At the very least, actors and directors could do a little bit more research, and if actors do believe that they can inhabit any role, as they've mentioned, adding more realism can only be a good thing. Hope this didn't come across as too angry. Just thought I'd add to the conversation, which is very interesting. That email comes from Georgia, from Sydney. Uh, it certainly was not angry at all. No. And, and like, that's the thing is like, because uh, I do the same thing, Georgia, is like that apology almost like, I always apologize at the end of something like that when I've like stuck up for myself for a little while. And like, your tone was not angry at all. But yes. like, you, you feel uncomfortable. Like, you've gone too far in sort of just merely staking, you know, your flag in the sand or whatever. Um, I thought that was a great email. And like, I, I don't know that I would categorize what I said exactly how Georgia kicks off the email, like, like that it doesn't matter. I was just saying sort of like, visually to those of us who are not familiar as Georgia is like, you know, it's, but Georgia makes a good point that there's all these things that like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, I know that this was, um, this sprung up a lot around, um, both the book and the film me before you. Um, I don't know if you remember that film that came out, um, is that last with, uh, year. Is that with Amelia Clark. Yeah. yeah. Amelia Clark. Um, and Sam Claflin. And um, I know that the, like, the disabled community was really angry, not just that they got an able-bodied actor to play a paraplegic, but um, or quadriplegic, actually, I think. Um, but I guess I didn't know that there was a lot of controversy around the book in the first place because the author, Jojo Moyes, did not do any research 
like talk to anyone who was disabled. She was just sort of like, this is how I think it would be. Right. Um, and then there's like a controversy around that movie because it, it has to do with sort of like um, uh, assisted suicide, I guess. Uh, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> So, so um, I I remember that very distinctly, and and so I'm I'm glad Georgia wrote us that email. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was kind of the point I was trying to make, which is at the end of the podcast last week, which is that as we get further down the timeline, when more diverse groups of people are included in the entertainment industry, that we will hopefully have paraplegic people playing paraplegic people, and so on, and disabled people playing disabled people, and and won't make these kinds of mistakes that George is talking about, or at least we'll we'll mitigate them. Um, I, I I think, in in my opinion, in in general, it is ideal for um, someone who's of a particular minority group or or, or a subcategory of, of people to play that role, but that's not always possible for a wide variety of reasons. Some of which are good, some of which are bad, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think George's email illustrates like the, that there are tangible benefits that can come from uh, being as inclusive as possible when it comes to casting. So, thanks for writing in, uh, Georgia. Really appreciate it. For the rest of this hour, we're just going to talk about uh, other emails that people wrote in. They like people, uh, you, our listeners and our Patreon backers wrote in with great suggestions for topics, and so. Uh, we're just going to, this episode's really for you guys because you helped make this podcast possible in the first place. And so uh, we're going to talk about the topics that you guys want. Rob Zember in New York City writes in, what's a typical week like for Joanna and David? How many hours do you typically spend reading slash watching slash reading slash eating pop culture? Uh, so Rob wrote in a bunch of questions. That's the first one. Joanna, do you want to talk about a typical week in terms of pop culture consumption? Uh, uh, the, you know, every week I almost think about um, at one point, I think back when I was still working at Pajiba.com, I had a spreadsheet of all the TV that I watched every week and I like kept a running tally of the hours. Um, but it wound up being too depressing. So I stopped doing that. Because um, the numbers are too high. It's too high. <laughs> I will say this. This last week, um, I watched, uh, not this last week, in the, the last week and a half, I watched... All of season one of Twin Peaks, half season two of Twin Peaks, Firewalk with me, all of season one of Game of Thrones, in addition to, um, you know, like a couple episodes of Leftovers, Fargo, like um, all the other shows that I'm trying to keep on top of right now. Um, plus, I had to read a book for to interview an author. Um, plus, I try to keep up on like a bunch of different podcasts as they're very informative. Plus, I... Um, yeah, so it's a lot. It's a lot. And I actually don't recommend it. Like a lot of people are always like marveling, like, how do you do what you do? And I'm like, ooh, I make unhealthy life choices. So I don't think you should do that. Um, and I think what's interesting to me right now is um, my beat on VanityFair.com right now encompasses both film and television. And I don't really want that to go away because I want to get to do cool things like help write some of the Star Wars content we put up this week or – write about Wonder Woman when it comes out in a couple of weeks, stuff like that. But I usually at an outlet, you're either a movie person or you're a TV person. And um, especially in the era of peak TV. Oh yeah. And I watched like all the entire season of Kimmy Schmidt. Um, <laughs> Minor detail. 
I was like, I'm sure, I think I'm forgetting a whole season that I watched or something. Um, Well, Netflix is trying to kill me, basically, by releasing an entire season a week. Um, But the era of peak TV, it's it's harder and harder for someone to try to be a movie and a TV person. I feel like you have to pick. It's really hard for me to pick. Um, But... uh, well, maybe I'll have to pick or die. This is a very depressing answer to a fun question. Dave, what's your typical <laughs> pop culture consumption week like? Uh, it's way, way less. I mean, I think like one big difference is that Joanna um, does uh, pop culture podcasting and writing for a living. And I... <laughs> um, I guess starting in the near future, I'm not going to be doing that. Uh, although arguably I was for for a little bit uh, in the recent past, um, and so for me, I think. Let's see, I I, I watch uh, a movie for slash filmcast. Like I have to watch one movie a week, um, and that usually takes a few hours just to get to the movie. I have to get there early because it's a screening, and then it's a it's a critic screening, and then. Um, and then I usually need to watch something for what you and I are talking about, Joanna. Yeah. Um, but it generally, like, I, I would say uh, the last few weeks have been pretty brutal from a Twin Peaks perspective, just because I had not seen any of Twin Peaks. So it wasn't like I could just watch a few episodes and jog my memory. Like, I had to just start over from the beginning. And uh, that was pretty rough. Uh, just not, Twin Peaks is not a bad show, but it's definitely not a show that I would have chosen to watch of my own volition. Uh, right. but I did it because, you know, we're doing this peaks TV project together. And, uh, and, and I, I also saw, you know, it's not just cause of that. I saw that it's clearly going to be a phenomenon in some way. And so, uh, I wanted to get in on that, but it just, that was, that was pretty rough where I'm like, you know, some days I'm taking in like four hours of twin peaks, um, or six hours of twin peaks in a, in a day. And, um, that was challenging. Uh, but mm-hmm. other than that, you know, it's like usually a movie. Usually I try to watch at least one other thing to talk about in the Slash Filmcast or uh, as pop culture recommendations on Gen Pop. Um, but I would say it's dramatically, it's probably about one fourth the amount of, of uh, culture that Joanna consumes. The problem is the problem is my like attention thing. Like we, we were talking about this on the, on the video hangout that we just did, but like, or or maybe it was a for the video hangout, but uh, I can't have people in the room usually um, when I'm watching something, which also means I'm really not good at background watching things. Mm-hmm. So I know some of my colleagues are able to do their jobs like write or at least get administrative stuff done while they have shows like sort of running in the background on like a separate monitor. And I can't do that. Um, I My intention doesn't work that way. And yeah, so I, I'm very similar. Um, yeah. Like I can't listen to music when I'm writing or or doing. Yeah, me work. neither. I can't listen to music because I'll, I'll my mind will get too focused on the words. Yeah. So like I can to listen to music. classical music. Like I listen to occasionally listen to lyricless music, but at this point it's just like it's better to not listen to anything at right. all. Right, and e- even with classical, like because I have a classical music background, like oh, I'll spend yeah. time like listening to the mm-hmm. classical music. So yeah, I- I'm very very much in the same way as you. Now that being said. I do do a lot more like watching in background for for things that need to be marathoned um, than I would like to admit. But in in general, I'm in the same category as you where I need to be focused on it to to comprehend anything. What what, what ends up happening usually when I do some watching in the background is I'll then need to rewind and watch the thing like five times you know, like exactly. And then I'll need to rewatch it. And then it's like, well, I should have just, yeah, Yeah. I should have just done that in the first place. Yeah. So in the same boat as you, but, um, 
it sounds like for you, the answer is like well above 20 hours a week um, <laughs> doing, you know, consuming pop culture. And yeah. for me, it's probably closer to five to 10. Um, and usually not even, not usually on the lower end of the five to 10. You're living your life right, man. I, have I don't to know. If, I don't know if I feel that way, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like it's, you know, I think a, a broader question that like, I don't think we're going to address here. Maybe it'll be a future episode of one of the podcasts that we're doing. But like a broader question is like, I, I definitely toyed with the idea of doing like going full time into uh, pop culture analysis and discussion. And uh, I, I'm not ready to do that right now. Like maybe I'll be, I'll be, I'll feel you know, just emotionally or financially, like I, I, I'm not ready to do that right now. But maybe one day I will be. Um, but you know, like I, I don't think I couldn't. I could not consume as much media as you consume. You know, just um, it would just be a real challenge for me. So uh, yeah, and I mean, the last thing I'll say is that I think a lot of people get annoyed when I like um, am stressed about how much TV I have to watch. Cause they're like, Oh, poor you, your job is watching TV. But like, what's true is that usually I'm doing work of some kind, either writing or in meetings or something like that. Like I would say eight hours a day, maybe, maybe six. And then I have to spend many, many hours on top of that, trying to watch and read everything that I should be. So, um, it's not like I watch TV for eight hours and that's my job. That's, that's not quite how it works out. So, I didn't yeah, mean to turn this uh, into therapy. No, 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 not, not, not at all. I mean, I think uh, I think that's right. Like, I am very careful about how I talk about it, Joanna. You know, like I, I, I'm very careful to not complain about the TV watching to you know uh, outside people or like publicly on Twitter or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but it it is really t- it like I do find it to be like quite taxing. You know, like um, because you need to focus on it. But not only that, not only do you need to like focus on it. Really, the watching TV is not the hard part. It is it is what you produce afterwards that is the hard yeah. part, right? You need to uh, you need to be on. You need to sound conversant. Like to produce a podcast at the level of quality that we want, you need to uh, have like a fairly thorough understanding of things. Like that that was something that was like terrifying to me. I mean, not terrifying, but like that I was a, a little nervous about for the Twin Peaks podcast is. Will I sound even more like an idiot than usual? You know, because like people have been marinating in Twin Peaks for decades, yeah. decades, decades, and uh, I am just coming. I'm literally watched the entire series in the last couple weeks, and so will I sound like an idiot? And uh, and that whole process that I just described is stressful. Like watching the stuff, thinking about it, and trying to talk about it in a way that will actually enlighten people, that people will be delighted by. Um, and, and really, ultimately, like, the bar for me is, is this a podcast I would want to listen to? Like when we record a podcast about Game of Thrones or Peaks TV or Gen Pop, I'm always asking myself, is this a show I would want to listen to? And that's a bar I, I, I want us to hit. For you know, um, for selfish reasons, but also like it just takes work to to achieve that because um, I I feel like my standards are uh, somewhat high. So anyway, no, I mean, and and I I, I agree with everything you said, and I also want to say that um, for as much as I try to watch all the TV, I am like leagues behind some of the other people in my field, like Alan Sepinwall or Daniel Feinberg. How they watch all the t- like 
literally, I just like physically, I don't know how they do it. And Alan, who's always so thoughtful when he talks about TV, like he's also a dad and he has kids. Like if I had kids, like, are you kidding? I'd quit this job tomorrow. Like I can't do this job if I had kids. And so I'm just, I'm, you know, Mo Ryan too also has kids. So like, you know, I'm just impressed all the time by other people in my field when I see how hard I work just to be like half as conversant <laughs> as they are, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I feel completely the same way. Um, so, all right. So I think, I think that is the first of Rob Zember's four questions that we've addressed. Yes. Uh, how many hours do you spend reading, watching, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Uh, Joanna, a lot. Me, still a decent amount, but not quite as much as Joanna. Um, and I should also point out that, like, it really varies dramatically as well. Like, some weeks, you know, I'm marathoning pe- Twin Peaks, and some weeks there's just there's nothing out in theaters or on Netflix that really moves me. And so it's just, you know, maybe it's like two hours instead of eight hours, you know. Um, for me, it's it's highly variable. Rob Zember asks, any thoughts on the recent high-profile ransoming of pop culture by hackers? So this is a question about uh, the fact that hackers recently stole... I want to say they, they stole Pirates of the Caribbean, um, the new film, and they also stole. It Orange was either is new an, Black. was it an episode or a season of Orange this Is the New Black? The whole season. The whole season of Orange Is the New Black, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they asked for a ransom. They they're like, you know, um, give us money or we'll release this. We'll release all this content online for free. And I I believe Netflix did not accede to their demands, right? Netflix did not pay them, and it was released. And then uh, they they're trying uh, not they it's I'm not I'm not sure it's the same people it's probably not the same people yeah. but other hackers are trying to ransom Disney for pirates and I believe that Bob Iger of Disney was like come at me bro do yeah. it yeah I mean I, I will say we do not negotiate with we do not negotiate with terrorists that's right I mean yeah. I think uh, firstly Netflix has about forty to fifty million subscribers in the United States so. I, you know, if you do like a Venn diagram of people who are willing to illegally download Orange is the New Black, but who don't have Netflix already, I feel like that diagram is pretty small. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the overlap in the two circles is pretty small. Uh, or, or I should say people who have Netflix, yeah, people who don't have Netflix and want to download illegally Orange is the New Black, right? Like that's who the, the, the hackers would be targeting. Because if you had Netflix, who gives a crap? You're going to get all the episodes anyway, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, like, I will say that in my, you know, I, I don't know if this is like gonna send me to jail or whatever, this saying this on, on this podcast, but in my youth, in my younger days, before I could afford cable, um, I would download shows sometimes or stream them online. Um, yeah, there was a time when I was flat. I, I will say this, and hopefully I don't get arrested. I streamed the entire first season of Justified online. Uh, when I could not afford cable of any kind. Wow. Um, Is that while we were doing the Justified cast, Joanna? No, we did it for, (laughs) didn't we do it for season two? Season two, yeah, I think that's right. (laughs) Um, And so, but now that like I, I can watch things and I like, it's not like morally I have some issues with it, definitely. But also like, now that I can afford it, like, I wouldn't. Like, I don't want to watch Orange is the New Black that way. I would rather watch it on Netflix. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, given it, the choice, and I, I guess at that time I felt like I didn't have a choice. I did have a choice. I could just not watch Justify. But, like, um, 
you know, so, um, I, and, and the other thing has that to do with leaks is like, um, I mean, movies get leaked all the time of like crappy people like doing crappy recordings in theaters and stuff like that. I'm guessing this must be. This sounded like a high quality version. Like a high quality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hold on. Firstly, with regards to your first point, um, I think one one thing that uh, I, I have discovered in my travels, in my travels and observations is that downloading a. Uh, online video, like downloading an illegal copy of something like uh, uh, Orange is New Black. Like, let's say I wanted to do that. That is a horrible experience. A- and what I mean is, you have to find some site on some random like CD. It's like going into the red light district. You know, there's like porn yeah. ads everywhere, or whatever. You go well, to this place. You go to this yeah. place, and then you don't. You don't even know what you're putting onto your computer. Like, maybe you're getting the right thing, but like maybe it's a crappy version. Maybe it's not even the right video you know like it's just a terrible experience meanwhile uh netflix uh, you know has its issues with the ui but like overall it's a much better experience so like it's they kind of learned the apple way of doing things with itunes when they started selling songs for a dollar each that like hey if you give people a really good experience they will pay for it uh a really good and like very like reasonably priced or low priced you know like that's the thing about netflix right is um is you're like Oh, it's basically free. That's how people feel about Netflix. <laughs> um, and just enough people feel like na- Netflix is basically free to net Netflix a gajillion dollars, you know? Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the thing you mentioned about like sort of porn pop-up ads and like that, that's all true. And and what's true is that like, I guess it's the same, probably the same about going to the red light district. Like in, when I was younger, I was like, yeah, that's fine. But now I would be like, <laughs> Oh, this is awful. What is amazing to me, though, like, I think what is a lot easier than downloading a video file, though, is virtually every movie, like, ever made that has any notoriety is available to stream online. And for some reason, Google indexes them. So, for instance, I could type in, like, stream Final Destination into Google. I could say, like, stream Final Destination into Google and... I would be able to stream it within moments. It would be a crappy site. It would it would have sketchy ads, but it would be like what, what I'm trying to say is it's a lot easier to stream something than it is to download it. Um, but both of them are not super great experiences, and uh, so. But so I guess, but that wasn't even really the point. <laughs> the question, the question yeah. was like, what do you think of like someone doing well, this? No, no. Well, what I'm saying, or, yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is that if if their point was to extract a lot of money. From Netflix, that they they chose a really, it was not very well well thought out tactic because you know why why on earth like if it was maybe you know three months early maybe but why on earth would I I, I think uh, uh what is it Orange is New Black season five is coming out pretty soon right um, yeah you know, so I'm just saying like why on earth would someone choose to you know do the the crazy way of uh, I have to say, of downloading uh, it, like Orange is New Black and Pirates are one thing, but like if it were the next season of Game of Thrones, yeah, that or the t- next Marvel movie or the next Star Wars movie, yeah, like, if it was like the Last Jedi, we'd be having a different conversation. Yeah, <laughs> and Disney would be like, "Here's your money, probably." So you know, uh, that being said, Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, movie. Uh, you know, people may recall that Wolver- uh, X Men Origins Wolverine was released online before it came out in theaters. Uh, and that seemed to do. It seemed to have no impact whatsoever on the box office performance of that film. 
that's weird because that's isn't that notoriously like I mean it did it did fine but it didn't do well. No, it did great. It did great. The opening mm-hmm. was uh, let me see if I can find the opening uh, box office weekend, but it it did like very very well and and certainly like one of the better performing uh, Mar- uh, I should say X Men movies. Uh, the opening weekend it made eighty five million dollars. That's pretty good. Um, that's more money than, for instance, like Logan made in its opening weekend. So, well, I knew Logan. Oh, actually, no, that's actually not even true. <laughs> oh, Logan made eighty-eight million dollars. But I'm saying, yeah, it's, but Logan is considered a hit, and so is X Men Origins Wolverine. Do you know what I mean? Even though X Men Origins Wolverine was PG thirteen and also a very terrible. Movie. But there's oh, wait, are you on the box office mojo page where they rank all the X Men movies? No, but tell me what you're looking at. Okay, wait, no, I'm just gonna go vamp first. Okay. Uh, so anyway, X-Men Origins Wolverine did pretty well. It was the fourth highest ranked X-Men film after Last Stand, Days of Future Past, and X2 X-Men United. Um, oh, so you are looking at the X-Men page. Well, I, I pulled it up just now. because. Oh, okay. That. Okay. <laughs> uh, although although this, that chart that I just read off does not include Logan, which would, so that, that actually make Logan's it be. Logan's number four. Yeah, so. Logan X-Men, before, Origin, yeah, X-Men and, Origins Wolverine is number six because Deadpool's number one. Oh yeah, this does not include Deadpool. This is just I just this is just a list of all the movies that have X Men in the title. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a there a box office much as like franchise pages. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. um yeah, so X Men Origins Wolverine made eighty five, Logan made eighty eight, Deadpool made one hundred thirty two. But like if Deadpool had leaked online, I really think that would have hit Deadpool's box office. Uh, Deadpool's like, yeah. it depends on the kind of movie, and I just think that. Pirates is not the kind of movie that yeah. like a ton of hackers are lining up to like a ton of people who would download a movie are lining up to see. But Deadpool is Suicide Squad, I think, would have right. been maybe. I, you know? right. I mean, I think like for, for Pirates of the Caribbean, A, the plot is completely ludicrous and inconsequential. But B, it's also like probably for some reason, I can't understand why, um, is a movie that like people take their, their kids to. It's like a family movie. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's disgusting. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why Disney positions that way. I don't know why people actually take their kids to it because it's... But like if it had been Fast 8, you know? I don't know. I I guess I just feel like these these event movies like Pirates are big enough that people are going to go see them in the theater anyway. Like no one wants to have that experience at home. Or not no one, but very few people want to have that experience at home. So this is where I come down on this question about the ransoming of pop culture. For Pirates of the Caribbean, I think it wouldn't. It's not going to affect box office if it's released online. Uh, it maybe a little, maybe a couple million, but like not enough to be consequential. And for Orange Is the New Black, it's certainly not going to discourage people from from subscribing to Netflix. So I just feel like this whole technique of hacking and releasing these movies online is not super. It's not that it's yeah. It just, it just doesn't feel like a great way to make money if you're a hacker, in my opinion. I mean, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if they get their hands on something else. Yeah, like if they get something really, val- like truly valuable, we'll see. So yeah. All right. Uh, Rob also asks, uh, will there be a Patreon page for the Peaks TV podcast for those of us that missed the Kickstarter deadline? And no, there will not. Uh, the that is very nice that people want to pay us even after the podcast is already <laughs> going to come out, and that's why we think you guys are awesome, and you know because you are so supportive and um, and help us like help us get paid for talking about TV shows and films. Um, but no, that podcast can be out and uh, we're really grateful for all the people that support it. And if you didn't support it, no worries. There'll be plenty of chances to support our stuff in the future and enjoy peaks TV for free. Um, 
All right. If you had all-time pop culture recommendations, i.e., I. imagine we made first contact with aliens and you were tasked with getting them up to speed with Earth's pop culture, what would they be? Hoping for some food items here as well. <laughs> so, do we, I mean, do we need to, like, we, there was another question that we, was asked that I don't know. We could not find the email. We looked far and wide. We could not find the email. But someone yeah. basically asked us to talk about the pop culture that was most influential to us, right? Yeah. Uh, so I chose a few TV shows. You know, I didn't choose any movies, but uh, Joanna, you took this in a more general pop culture direction. That's totally cool. Uh, so we're just going to take turns talking about, like, some of the pop culture that was most formative to us. Uh, so, Joanna, you want to start us off? Yeah. Well, actually, first I want to give a food recommendation to an alien that lands on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what is that? Um... If I had to like pick one Earth food to recommend to an alien who landed mm. on the planet, it would probably be dumplings, hmm. um, like Asian style dumplings, gotcha. um, not like chicken and dumplings. Um, and that might be influenced by the fact that like ever since they moved to Oakland, we moved near a place that like will deliver dumplings. Uh, my dumpling intake has uh, gone up uh, considerably. It's dumplings are delicious. If there was one food item that you had to recommend to an alien species, Dave, what would it be? Uh, just off the top of my head, honestly, I mean, the, okay. You know, I understand like, I understand there's people who don't like people that eat meat. So I am one of the people that eat meat. And so sorry if that's the case, if you're, if you, you know, if you're vegetarian, like I totally respect the decision. It's not one I've made so far, but I would say the most ecstasy I've felt while eating food <laughs> in general has been eating like really fine cuts of meat. Like, so like uh, a really well marbled ribeye, I would say mm. is cooked medium rare. I would say is probably uh, my favorite food, but, but you know, 90% of the food I eat is like, well, especially these days is, uh, like salads or like Asian food, um, Chinese food, Japanese food. There's a poke bar that just opened up down the street. I literally Ooh, go there four times a week. Like poke, yeah, that's um, a good one. But you know, those are not foods that I, like. Those are foods I eat to stay alive and stay healthy. Those are not foods that I deeply love. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, dumplings. Man cannot live on dumplings alone. Right. But um, poke is. Ugh delightful all yeah. right yeah. my pop culture my answer my wide-ranging answer i believe like my understanding of this prompt and we can't even find the prompt now so <laughs> dave and i will never know which one of us understood it yep. properly but um, my understanding was like what's the pop culture that has like shaped you formative pop culture put you like where you are now and so i was thinking about like um what um and like influential. Okay, so I was thinking about a couple things. One is, um, are we doing one, one and one? Yeah, or are we do doing... one. you do one, I'll do one. Perfect. Okay. Um, if you've ever listened to me talk on a podcast ever, you know that one of my things is going to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is a TV show that came out when I was in high school um, and was the first TV show that I watched for uh, the first TV show of like the modern era that helped me understand sort of like serialized television. Uh, big bad, so like the structure of TV. Um, Joss Whedon did a really good job of just sort of um, helping actually define a lot of the TV that would come after it. Um, and then it's also a show that I would discuss with people like sort of passionately. I joined message boards, which is like the first and maybe only time I did that for a TV show. No, uh, I did it for one other, but um, 
I joined message boards. I talked to classmates about it. Like it's a thing that I went really deep on. I cared a lot about it. I thought a lot about it. Um, and I think it was a show that provoked a lot of thought. And, um, and so I don't think if I, if I hadn't had that experience, like up until then, I definitely watched a lot of film and television, but I don't think that I processed it in the way that like you and I, Dave, um, process TV via these podcasts. So gotcha. that would so be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Number the, one. The television show. Good. Yeah. Great choice. Great choice. Uh, I would say one of the shows for me was uh, The Shield, uh, the Sean Ryan FX original series, mm-hmm. uh, which had a number of really interesting qualities about it. Firstly, it's probably one of the best. You know, there, there's obviously been a bunch of like male antihero, uh, like amazing TV shows over time. Tony Soprano, um, Breaking and, Bad, uh, yeah, uh, Walter White. But also, I would say up there is uh, is Vic Mackey in mm-hmm. in The Shield, and so just like an amazing central performance in that character. Um, but also, I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, FX was like an also ran station. You know, yeah, yeah. they were oh, just yeah. showing. Really crappy movies and reruns from Fox, like X Files reruns and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, they did Buffy reruns actually. Right, too. right, right. Um, so not a great TV network, and they, you know, they kind of had this idea of like let's let's do this. let's try and see if we can make this work financially. Mm-hmm. And because they were so scrappy, and they shot most of the show on sixteen millimeter, I think, or like on film. So it, it's like not a typical format for shooting, and and I believe has caused significant challenges because they're trying to do a 4K remaster as far uh, if I if I recall mm. correctly like Sean mm-hmm. Ryan's trying to get a high def remaster of it which like there's I don't think there is a Blu-ray of the shield yet right so uh but because of that very scrappy low budget nature they were able to show you things that hadn't really been shown on TV before and they could have like plot lines wildly spin out of control in a way that felt really exciting, and, and, and as though I, anytime I tuned in, I had no idea what I was about to watch. Um, and like Melanie Linsky plays a serial killer who like cuts people's arms off and like keeps them in trunks in that mm-hmm. in that show. Um, there was a there was an episode where like this uh, the, the, the Armenian mob like cuts people's feet off. Uh, you know, now that I'm saying this, a lot of this has to do with like cutting people's things off. Um, but <laughs> you know, like a lot of people got maimed and mutilated on that show uh, and it just felt so freewheeling and crazy and also showed that something like this was possible on a basic cable network. Um, and that was very revelatory to me. And of course, now FX is a whole. St- they have they have so much stuff on FX. They had they like sp- spun it off into its own channel now. It spun off, um, you know, the comedy stuff into FXX or FFX, wh- whichever one it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so f- for me, The Shield just kind of was one of those first shows that I saw that had a, a fairly consistently level of high quality, but also was just pretty insane in terms of what it tried to do. It also had what I would say is one of my favorite final two episodes of any show that I've ever seen in my life. Um, wow. Just I thought the finale was really phenomenal. Um, but uh, are, are you familiar with The Shield? Did you watch The Shield? 
Yeah, I watched. I haven't actually. I haven't finished it. I watched a couple years ago. I think I was sort of. I guess it was before. It, I think it was before I worked for Vanity Fair, and a couple years ago, I was like sort of casting about to fill some sort of holes in my pop culture knowledge, and I think I asked Twitter. I pulled Twitter, and they were like, "You haven't watched The Shield? You're a dummy." Um, or I said something about best. I think it was best finale, and so many people picked The Shield that I was like, "God, I gotta watch The Shield," and then I never made it to the finale. But I see. Yeah, the, um, the last two episodes, possible kill screen. And family meeting are just like I still remember scenes from those. They're, like they're etched into my memory of how good they are. Um, so, anyway. but but yeah, I think I watched a couple. I think the do you watch Shield the Shield when it first ran? Uh, I bought season one on DVD at Costco uh-huh. and uh, watched that, and then after that, I kept up with it. Um, on FX. I think so. The Shield suffered from that thing that I think we've talked about before, which is when you see something so that was so groundbreaking, right. but you've since seen all the other things it's inspired. Yeah, yeah. And so you go back and watch it, and you're kind of like, hmm. Um, I, I mean, it, it is pretty rough around the edges. You know, it's low budget. Like, it, it feels like, you know, a very small crew. Like, the crew is so small to shoot that show. Um so I can understand why it would look rough in comparison to, like, the very, very polished stuff today. And it's not even, like, look rough. It's sort of like, um, you know... Um, a lot of the acting is rough, too. You know, like, they, they got a lot of non-actors to, to play. Well, but it's like, when you're watching that, I'm like, okay, Walton Goggins is good. And everyone's like, oh, Walton Goggins. I'm like, Walton Goggins is, is good in this. He's better and justified. Or, like, right, you know... Right. And that, um, was, that was the show that made Walton Goggins, though. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Or like you see a lot of the Sons of Anarchy finger and not that Sons of Anarchy was like great its whole run, but like a lot of you know, Sons of Anarchy basically came directly out of the shield and like um and yeah, and so I, I think I think I just if I had watched it in its initial run, I probably would appreciate it more. Probably. Yeah. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. There there's a few bold plot lines in that show, like um there's a show there's an episode where a major male character is uh, sexually assaulted. Uh, and I, I had just never seen anything like that on TV up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's like a very bold, bold decision. And he spends like multiple episodes and like many, many, uh, many, many episodes over the course of I think one or two seasons dealing with the emotional consequences of that. And I just thought it was like a... It's just it, it, you just never knew what was going to happen in a way that was both good and bad because on the one hand it did occasionally feel cheap it did occasionally feel like I'm not seeing the best version of what this could be but on the other hand it's like so much crazy stuff is going down on this show so uh, that's one show that really was formative for me how about you Joanna what's something else that really inspired you um, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna say it's this I have another show and it's kind of similar to my first show Buffy um, which is Lost and Lost, I didn't feel quite as emotionally invested in um, as I did with Buffy, but um, Lost was just the kind of show that it was so fun to talk about. Um, and I, I, I did feel emotionally invested in that show. I, I really can't, They did a really good job of making me care about those characters. Um, the first, like, however many seasons, there's a few seasons that are kind of pretty much perfect. And then there's, like, just enough good in the back end to make all of the not good stuff worth it to me. And, um, there, I, a problem that I think, I think I brought this up when we talked about The Handmaid's Tale. Um, an issue that comes up with me a lot with television these days is, um, not being able to pick episodes out 
um, that everything just feels like one long blur. But with Lost, I can just, and the same is true of Buffy, I can just so clearly remember episodes. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the structure of like giving, centering on a character, giving that character a backstory that then reflects what's going on in the modern plot line, et cetera, et cetera. So each episode does feel kind of distinct. Um, but I just, I really do feel like Lost changed television forever. Um, and it was the first time, like Buffy was, I loved Buffy, but it wasn't a super popular show when it was first running. Lost was Game of Thrones level insanely popular. Probably, I mean, maybe even more so because that was before it was so hard to get people to watch TV. Yeah, no, it, it, um, I think it's, yeah, probably significantly probably more. Probably significantly, In terms of viewership, yeah. I think it's probably yeah. more than, than Game of Thrones, yeah. And like that it was on network and all this sort of stuff like that. And, and then it also helped me understand the... Um, We've talked about this before, the cottage industry that springs up around. It was when I first became aware of, like, um, spoiler culture. I was reading, like, spoiler boards and um, and various TV personalities who made themselves experts. Um, I'm thinking of um, – What's her name? Like Kristen from E. Like the various like people who made them who like took ownership of Lost, and they're like, Lost is my show. I as a TV presenter, or I as a TV writer, am taking ownership of Lost. Um, Jeff Jensen at Entertainment Weekly, Ryan McGee, like all these people, and um, you know, I didn't intentionally do that with Game of Thrones, but that's something that like doing with Game of Thrones has sort of changed my whole life trajectory, I would say. Um, and, and that's something I really identified for the first time when watching lost. So that's my answer. Uh, all right. Uh, my next one is, uh, the wire, you know, which is oh, so good. probably a cliche answer, but, uh, it's one of the first shows I watched that felt like a, uh, it, it was widely described as a novel. You know, yeah. uh, a visual novel, mm-hmm. and every season covered a different aspect of American society, and all those things that I said about uh, about the Shield are are not true of the Wire. Like the Shield felt uh, very rough, very out of control. It felt like they were desperately trying to barely like meet their their deadlines in terms of like shoot it, writing and shooting the show and and getting things in the can. And whereas the Wire felt like every single thing you saw was like under complete control um, by the creators of the show and everything is super polished. All the acting performances are phenomenal. Uh, It it just was, was so polished and so insightful about America with lessons that still resonate to this day. Um, It, if I had to choose like my favorite TV show of all time, it would be the wire still, I think. Mm. Um, Do you have, what, what is, do you have, have you thought of like what that would be for you, Joanna? It's gotta be Buffy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So we're both. We're, one of the things that we're naming is mm-hmm. like our top thing of all time, mm-hmm. and mine is The Wire. Um, just because it's just a really uh, phenomenal work of art. So um, that that's that's very American. You know, it's it distinctly about America and its successes and failures, and has so many memorable characters and moments that they were able to fit into this structure. Um, so. Great show. And of course, if you have not seen The Wire, definitely check it out. HBO just did a widescreen remaster of it uh, that I would yeah. recommend. So That was one of the, also the first shows that uh, showed me how much money I could spend on Blu-rays. <laughs> or, <laughs> or it was DVDs. I, I, I paid, I think, $65 for the first season of The Wire on DVD. 
And I was just like, wow, HBO is really reaming us here. But, you know, I love this show so much. I'm going to wow. support it by, by paying $65 for this season one DVD, which, of course, I never use anymore because, A, you can stream it, and, B, I have the Blu-ray. So, um, Yeah, I'm trying to – like, I don't – I'm not a huge buyer of seasons of TV on DVD. Yeah. So the only ones that I ever did were bu- all of Buffy, um, the first few seasons of Veronica Mars – um, this Canadian show called Slings and Arrows, which I'm really glad I did because you can't find it anywhere these days. And um, Spaced, the BBC series Spaced. I, I've bought a ton of uh, stuff on DVD, much of which I regret. because. So, for instance, I bought... Um, I'm looking at my shelf right now. Like six mm-hmm. seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm on DVD, um, which I, I literally have not even opened. Yeah. Because... Uh, shortly after I bought it, it became super easy to just stream the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why would you, you know, like literally the act of navigating to HBO Go is way easier than like putting in discs, you know, every three episodes, you know? Um, so those were dumb purchases. And please, if you're listening, don't make the same mistakes <laughs> I did, is what I'm saying. Well, I don't think people do that anymore. I don't think I think a lot of people don't buy DVDs yeah, anymore for true. anything, TV or otherwise. So. It's true, but I, I'm I'm holding it down, Joanna. <laughs> I, it's I, I will say I'm just going to go on a mini rant here, that very small rant, but it's so irritating to me that stuff is released on digital now before it's released on Blu-ray mm. because the Blu-ray copy often comes with a digital copy. So, yeah. like John Wick too came yeah. out. It's fifteen dollars, and then it's like. I can buy it for $15 now, digital only, or I can wait like four weeks and get a Blu-ray that includes a digital copy for roughly the same price. Yeah. And it just is like, I, but I really want to watch John Wick 2 right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I guess that's what they're banking on. I bought, uh, this, is, this is like a similar yet different circumstance. Like when something is available digitally, but not for rental, it's only available to own. Yeah. And you're like, I don't think I want to own it, but right. I also really want to watch it right now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff is available on digital and you can't rent it. It's very That irritating. happened to me with Eddie the I now own Eddie the Eagle, which I just like really wanted to watch it. <laughs> so I bought it. And I was true like, oh, true story, I bought Eddie the Eagle as well, but I have <laughs> I have not watched it yet. Um I, but it, it was on sale for four dollars during Black Friday, so I thought, eh, there's some chance I'm gonna watch this movie. <laughs> Might as well buy it now for four dollars. Safe to say, Eddie the Eagle will not be our third entry on either of oh, our lists. Uh, well, um, speak for yourself. Um, okay. <laughs> also, is Eddie the Eagle any good? Should I should I check that out? It's okay. It's uh, I immediately regretted buying it. It's like <laughs> I I would give it like a B. You know, it's fine. I see. I see. Here's something I would recommend. Here's a random thing I, I would recommend buying. By the way, Heat. There's yeah. like the the uh, the uh, director's definitive edition Blu-ray, which has been remastered just came out. You can get it for like $8 right now. That is an amazing film that you should definitely buy. I- I'm just saying that because it's sitting right in front of me right now. Anyway. <laughs> all right, Joanna, your next choice. Um, I decided to go with a book. Um, and since like I write for a living, um, well, kind of, yeah. Um, you know, I thought I, I read a lot growing up and um, that would be my number one. A lot of people ask for like writing recommendations, how to become a better writer. Um, and not that I think I'm in a position to say so, but I would say the number one thing that I would recommend to people is, uh, read as much as you possibly can read all the time and read a lot of different people and read a lot of different books from those people. So you can understand their style and how they establish it. Um, and I think that will really help you figure out rhythms, 
like understand the rhythm of good writing, have an ear for it, and um and and then figure out how to put your own voice into your writing. Um, in my current position, I don't always get to do that um, because uh, VF has sort of a stri- stricter style than um, some of my other writing assignments. Like, I think I used to be a little like loopier and funnier in my writing when I wrote for Bajiba.com. Anyway, point being, I would say when it comes to that, when it comes to like really understanding someone getting their voice and a, and a comic voice, which is interesting, which is important to me through in their writing, I'm going to go with Terry Pratchett who wrote the Discworld novels. Uh, he wrote a, he's written, well, he wrote, he passed away. He wrote a, like a billion books and I've read, uh, I would say all of them and they're all funny because his novels are in are like shelved in the sci-fi fantasy section. And because he's funny, I think that some people, um, dismiss it as not worth reading. Um, I think comedy does not get its fair shake. Comedy writing like P.G. Woodhouse um, gets gets some uh, – and Oscar Wilde gets some cred because they're British and, and older. So they're classics now. But like, you know, to not pay attention to contemporary comedy writers like Christopher Moore is a really good one, um, I think is a mistake. So reading reading someone who's – or, or I, I used to read the, col- the collected columns of Dave Barry all the time. Mm. So reading someone who's funny – Finding out um, how they put their voice in and try to put your own voice into your writing. Um, so that that really shaped um, how I approach um, writing, I guess. Gotcha. Um, so can you so can you just identify like uh, the I would just say Terry Pratchett, the Discworld series. Terry Pratchett for the Discworld series. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and is I guess people can get it on. You know, this is a random question, Joanna. Like, I assume you still read hardcover books, right? Like, yeah. Or, gotcha. Okay. Um, um, I read comic books on my iPad, um, but I don't read, like, novels on a device. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So th- I think that those are your three choices, correct? Yep. All right, so I have one more choice. I mean, hard hard to choose, but I would say uh, honestly, <laughs> this is this is not a great choice. Like, th- there's there's several things I want to mention. You know, I want to mention, but I'm not really going to talk about that much. But I'll, I will mention uh, the West Wing and ER as shows that I felt like delivered in general a very high level of quality on a week to week basis. Like, felt like we were seeing, you know, something that could have been a film on television and that had uh, persistent week-to-week elements, like serialized elements in them. Um, and certainly, I think The West Wing is Aaron Sorkin's greatest work to date. But if I'm to look back on in time and think of the TV shows specifically that really helped inform my <laughs> enjoyment of TV, I have to say one of them is probably 24, the Fox series. <laughs> Uh, and that is just because this is why we did the whole episode about it. I was just so impressed with Mm -hmm. how they were able to consistently do a, uh, not, not only do like a a really pretty impressive cliffhanger at the end of most episodes, I'd say 60 to 80% of the episodes, uh, at least in the first few seasons, I was thinking to myself how, like, I I really wanted to know what the next episode was going to be. Uh, what was going to happen in the next episode? Um, so, 
that was that was a factor. But also, like every episode, it felt like there was some kind of big action set piece, and I just was so impressed with how they were able to do that on a weekly basis. Like a helicopter lands in downtown Los Angeles, or some some explode. There's some big explosion, or Kiefer mows down 30 guys in some compound you know that's just like insane that they were able to do that on a weekly basis so just on a technical level i was just really impressed with what that show was able to accomplish and i feel like it really set the bar in terms of action television filmmaking if that makes sense so yeah not you know not for a lot of people not necessarily one of their favorite shows of all time but for for me, you know, that show lasted many many years. It was really part of the the zeitgeist for a while, and uh, I just found it really impressive. And Kiefer Sutherland, you know, we were talking. I was talking about antiheroes earlier. Definitely one of the great antiheroes of all time. So, I think that's awesome. And I so I would really recommend people go listen to our twenty four episode if yeah, you haven't. That was really fun. Um, even if you don't like, even if you have no intention of watching twenty four Legacy, um, which did you finish the season, Dave? I didn't watch any more episodes after we recorded that podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, me neither. Um, but to hear uh, Dave and Matt Zoller Seitz, uh, who was our guest, talk about um, the impact of the in- of a- the original Twenty Four, it's really interesting to me as someone who didn't watch it um, when it first aired. So. Yeah, it, it was, and it was also, you know, uh, I also met my, I bonded with uh, Devinder Hardwar, our co-host of one of my uh, other podcasts, the Slash Film Guest. On like while watching Twenty Four, you know, we watched that show together and we would talk about it and geek out about it. And I watched that show with a bunch of people, like my brother too. Watched that show with my, you know, it was a show I bonded with many people over, if that makes sense. Uh, and for, so for that reason, it's also yeah. kind of on my list of things. Absolutely. So, well, Joanna, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of uh, of Gen Pop. Um, yeah. So very sad that it's all coming to an end, but. Uh, Joanna and I are going to keep working together probably for uh, many, many years. The rest <laughs> of our lives. Probably for far longer than is rational. Um, but uh, As yeah, long as there's a Game of Thrones spinoff on air. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll, we'll keep working together. And, you know, <laughs> um, I, cer- I, you know as, I, as I look to the future, Joanna, certainly Game of Thrones and Game of Thrones related shows are probably things we're going to keep recapping. Certainly Decoding Westworld, just because... The success of both that show and also the podcast, I, I feel like, really took us by surprise. Like, we've done yeah. a bunch of different podcasts before, including for Justified, for uh, Breaking Bad, uh, and none of them were as popular as our Westworld podcast. Like, even Breaking Bad, who, who, you know, we got Ryan Johnson, uh, the director of the new Star Wars, <laughs> to do a commentary with us on, on the Breaking Bad podcast. Like, that podcast received a fraction of the listenership that was crazy ryan johnson basically did a dvd commentary of an (laughs) app like a great episode of television and uh, yeah um it's so funny i I was telling my bosses about that the other day when we were talking about sort of doing the star wars content i was like well you know like i've talked to ryan before like we did this (laughs) thing and they're like you did what with ryan johnson i was like yeah that's crazy that we did that with ryan johnson well yeah you were not you were not there also when i did a paris recently where i reviewed guardians of the galaxy 2 and ryan johnson just showed up in the periscope uh just to give me a, a difficult time like he just loves uh, ryan me shit. ryan johnson trolling dave chen is my favorite thing about the internet so <laughs> well hopefully <laughs> like actually this is this is another true this is a, a consistent trend actually um uh literally hours 
before he was announced as uh, the director of the new Star Wars film, Ryan Johnson was tweeting at me about how unpopular my podcast was. I'm not joking. <laughs> so before the biggest announcement of his professional life, uh, he felt the need to give me shit about my podcast download numbers. Um, so th- this, this rivalry goes way back. Uh, and anyway, all that being said, uh, what I, the point I was trying to make was uh, Cast of Kings, we're going to keep doing. Decoding Westworld, we'll probably keep doing until that show ends. Uh, but, you know, as you look to the future, like, are there any things you can think of that, like, we might do? I guess that's a hard question to answer because the things that we might do, probably they don't exist yet, right? Yeah. But um, I don't think there are even any, like, projects. Yeah, like, are there any oh, projects in um, the making, you know? Uh, maybe in the name of the wind, which is so Game of Thrones-esque that, it, you know, we'd be silly not to at least give it a look. Which is based huh. on the very Patrick, uh, very popular Patrick Rothfuss books um, that that Lin Manuel Miranda is adapting for television. So, you know, it's a possibility. How but. about the uh, How about the uh, Emerald City? That's the Wizard of Oz reboot. That's uh, that makes it seem like Game of Thrones. I thought it was already canceled. Oh, well, that's very <laughs> that's very sad. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it, it is sad because a lot of people I like were working on that show, but it the is, show itself it is already did not. Canceled impress me at all the show looked awful from the uh from the trailer but Uh, yeah but it's so weird because so many smart interesting people i know are working on that show it just goes to show you man like it's not just talent (laughs) like there's a lot at play so well if you have any suggestions for future shows joanna and i should recap genpopshow at gmail.com is where you should send them uh, I, I think, you know, unfortunately, you are already doing an American God show. And if, if you weren't, you probably wouldn't do one with me. Which... I will never talk to you about American God. <laughs> it was so <laughs> deeply upsetting to Joanna uh, that, and uh, understandably so, understandably so. So, uh, but yeah, if there is any other suggestions, do let us know at genpopshow at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, we're on peakstv at gmail.com, peakstv.com right now. And we'll soon be back on GameOfThronesPodcast.com. We're not going away. Um, We'll also have a Better Call Saul uh, recap on uh, the Patreon feed and on this uh, podcast in a few weeks. But if people want to find more of your work in the meantime, Joanna, where can they do that? Uh, You can go read about Star Wars to your heart's content over on VanityFair.com. Uh, where we unveiled the Last Jedi cover this week, or four covers actually. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. dot com. You can follow me at Joe wrote this on Twitter. You can listen to me rewatch Game of Thrones over on Storm of Spoilers. That's really fun. That's what we're doing for the next few months. And uh, you can talk, hear me talking about sort of culture in general on Little Goldman. Find all my stuff at davechen.net. I record a podcast about films called The Slash Filmcast, and I do a storytelling show with Stephen Tobolowsky called The Tobolowsky Files at tobolowskyfiles.com. And as we wrap up, I do want to just thank all of you one more time uh, for, uh, and Joanna Robinson, you as well, you know, for for participating in this uh, experiment. We produced a lot of shows that I'm really proud of, had some great conversations with interesting people, uh, and I think for a lot of people, you know, this was not our most popular podcast, but it was one that had a very, very impassioned fan base. Yeah. And we will remember that. We appreciate that. We appreciate those that uh, gave money so that we could do this show. Um, and, you know, we hope that we have honored your contributions to the show um, and know that we are greatly appreciative of all that you guys do to 
enable the lives that we lead where we can uh, watch shows like Twin Peaks and talk about them and have an audience of thousands of people uh, to listen to us. That's not possible without uh, people like you who listen to the show and who give uh, to our Patreons and to our Kickstarters. So thank you very much, uh, and we'll see you guys later.